0: All righty. How many the second one is a lot more of like your home? How many of you have actually ever splashed water on your child like that? Oh, there's a couple honest people in here. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Yeah, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. All right, how many kids I got in the house? Let me hear you. Let's try that again. How many kids I got in the house? Let me hear you. (laughs) You would normally be in school right now. How many parents I got in the house? Let me hear you. That's how you do it, kids. That's how you do it. Anyways, we are uh, continuing our series, Ideal Family, Pastor Bubba did an incredible job uh, two weeks ago about um, this idea that there's this ideal family that the scripture talks about, about what we're supposed to do and how our families are supposed to look, and then we have the real family, which is what our families really look like. And today we're going to talk specifically about the role between parents and children, And uh, this is a topic that I've enjoyed studying, learning, and and definitely living out myself. Uh, I am a father of three boys, and so I tell people all the time, don't pray for me, pray for my wife. Uh, We have three children, eight, five, and three, and it's just crazy in our house. And today we're going to look at what the Bible talks about when it talks about um, parenting, but also what the role of children is, and so that's why we actually have Quest in here. So our first through fifth grade are in here with us today because I wanted them to hear this message just as, as much as I want the parents to hear it because, one, there's a role that they play in the family. It's just as important uh, as the parents' role, and so we're going to speak directly to kids today and tell them a little bit of what their role is as children, and then I'm going to flip the coin, and we're going to talk to parents and what their role is as parents, and so it should be, should be fun. And in all of that, I'm going to share a lot of things that I've learned, and probably some personal stories, and a lot of other stuff. So how many of you, let, let's start here. How many, of you, um, how many of you enjoy family pictures? It's, it's mainly women in here. How many dread family pictures? Family pictures where you got to go and get a photographer, everybody's got to be all dressed up and everything. And uh, yeah, our, our family, uh, Lindsay is all about family photos and keeping our family photos in our house up to date on our walls. She likes to keep the family photos up to date and, and have good photos on our walls and keep them keep them frequent, and so usually every Christmas we're taking family photos, and it seems like we're always like Thanksgiving, every holiday it seems like we're going to take a family photo, and, uh, and so uh, many of you maybe have seen our family photos, and so I want, I want to share a family photo with you. Let's throw one of those up, and this is what I would like to call the ideal family photo, right? Everybody's smiling, looks good. Those are the ones you, po- the ones you post on Facebook, right? 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 Everybody's like, "Oh, so cute, so awesome. I I think there's another one. There's another. This is like ideal family photo. Look at that. Oh, it's good. Good family photo. We love these. We post these on our walls. We put them on Facebook. We share them with our family. All these kind of things, okay? So you have these ideal family photos. We got another one? See, and, and then what you go to is you get a photo like this. So cute. And he's on his mom's phone right now not even looking so you have these cool photos like this right this is what I like to call the ideal family photo but then you have what I like to call the real family photos and that is what this one would look like (laughs) that's a real family photo right there the one we showed you before this started it okay and it's one of those where, come on, dads, how many you know, like you're grabbing the back of your son's leg and you're like, if you don't smile in this one. Okay, it's one of those. So this is one of those, unfortunately for my wife, look, this is, this is definitely a lot more, this is real deal. This is the attitude we deal with every day. This is, is there another one? I think there's another one there. This is the real family. Yes, that is, that's a real family photo right there. These are our photo shoots majority of them are these ones. And how many can I get a witness on those, okay? I mean, you take 150 family photos, and you're trying to find one. Give me one. I want one photo that I can at least send to family. They don't think we're crazy, okay? I just need one, okay? So this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the ideal family, which is what usually everybody sees, and we try to portray. And then we go home, and we got the real family. We got the not so good-looking family, and, and that's really, in between that is what we call the gap, and Pastor Bubba shared about that, I'd encourage you to go back on our podcast and, uh, and take a listen to that, but he talks about what do we do when we have this ideal family of what God's called family to look like, and then you have your real family, and your real family looks a lot more like this. What do you do in that gap? And that's where Pastor Bubba talked about it's grace. It's God's grace. There is nothing more in my life that has revealed to me my need for forgiveness, grace, and mercy than like parenting three sons. Come on, how many mamas and dads in here say there's nothing in your life that has revealed that you need the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God more than parenting your children, right? So I wanted to just do this today. I also wanted to share real quick uh, something more ideal. You know, I'll, I'll share a little bit more of this in the message, but, you know, when you come home from a day of work, you know, your ideal family of what you want it to look like is a certain way that you have in your mind. And I'll share a little bit more about that in a minute. But uh, I had to share, I wanted to share this little video with you real quick because this is, to be honest with you, more real of my home than maybe you think of. So I'm going to give you a little sneak peek into the Belt home and give you, uh, this is about three years ago, four years ago, okay, all right, roll it, guys, help him. save me, oh, give me your arm, baby, Juju. give me your arm, give me your arm, you got stuck, you can't go in through that way, Josh, help me, Here, hold this, hey, I guess, Josh, help okay. me, okay, hold that, <laughs> What? No.
1: Oh, <laughs> I bet you won't be doing that
0: again. Juju. Yeah, what's wrong? Uh-huh. Juju. Hey, what's the matter? What's wrong? Look. Mm-hmm. Hey. I Those real you, tears. I bet you. Oh, won't you want be to be in there? <laughs> 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 oh. All right, all over. All right. So that is really the belt home right there. I want notice a couple of things in that video. First off, notice one more one. Our house was crazy in that Did you see stuff everywhere? It was just everywhere. Number two, did you notice that, uh, that, that we pulled out the video camera? That's some parenting right there. He's stuck. Let me, hold on. Let me go grab the camera. This is hilarious. We have to catch this. And then you saw his uh, older brother definitely didn't want to miss out on the spotlight, so I thought that was hilarious. So, All right, Ephesians chapter 6, let's get in the Bible today. We're going to talk a little bit about this. All right, children, this is, uh, kids, this is your part. You get, to, uh, you get to engage with us and you get to share with us, and so we're going to have some public reading, and we're going to do it. Kids, you guys get to do it with me real quick, so let's throw up Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. If you're a kid in here, let me hear you read this with me. All right, here we go. Children, obey your in the Lord, for this is what? All right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is the most favorite verse of all kids and the most favorite verse of parents to repeat to kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, real quick, before I do anything, let me define children, okay? Here's my definition of children. It's not biblical, but I, I think it would fit. If you live at home, you're a child. <laughs> I'm not finished. If your parents pay any of your bills, you're a child. Everyone's like, oh, I don't know. I believe you're a child. Adulthood means you grow up you get out of the house, you get a job, and you pay your own bills. That's an adult, okay? So if you live at home, and if your parents still are paying the majority of your bills, now not, I mean, there's different situations, college and stuff and helping out in there. That's one thing. But if they're still paying your phone bill and your insurance and your gas and your spending money, you are a child. And I, I, it, it just blows my mind, guys who complain, man, my parents won't get off my back. I'm like, you're 24, and you're living at home, and your parents pay for all your food. You have no reason to complain. You're still a child, and they will continue to, at you, continue to treat you like a child until you decide to grow up. So when we're talking about this right here, children obeying your parents in the Lord for this is right. This is the people that I'm specifically talking to. So here's the big question, kids. Why do children, why do you have to obey your parents? Well, This is just how God designed it. Because here's the truth, and parents will echo this and children will disagree, but the truth is, children, you're just not smart. That's just how it is. Kids are not as smart as adults. True? Kids believe they are smarter than adults. True? Kids know more than adults. True? No, no, it's actually false, but it is true. Kids believe they are, but God set up a system that an older person would disciple and mature and, and, and would teach the younger generation, and God designed it this way that children submit and they obey their parents because ultimately you're just not as smart as you think you are. And this is coming from a guy who thought he knew it all. And then I got put under parents who continually reminded me that I didn't know it all, and I came to a church, and I sit underneath a pastor who reminds me all the time that I don't know it all. And for many of you that were here when I was a youth pastor from 18, you probably, I'm very sorry, first of all. <laughs> I apologize. There's a lot of arrogance and pride that was in there, and, and, and I didn't know it all, and I thought I did. And so there is this submission underneath parents and underneath authority because you're just not as smart as you think you are. And so we get put under these parents because God desires for that to be a place of safety for us, for us to learn, and for that arrogance to eventually give way to wisdom. See, as a child, you don't understand rules. Come on, kids, let's be honest. You don't understand all your parents' rules, right? Why do I got to clean up my room? Why do I got to eat vegetables? Why can't I just eat cake all the time and goldfish? I don't understand this. Teenagers, you don't understand. Why can't I stay out till 3 or 4 in the morning? Why do I have to come in at 11? Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to work. We, as, as young people, we think we don't understand why all these rules are on us. But as parents in here, you understand why you put the rule down, right? There's usually safety or protection that's there. You're caring for the most benefit of your child. When I tell my boys, don't go play out in the street, do you see that squirrel that's smooshed and has got its eyes on the other side of the road? That could be you. <laughs> but no matter how many times I tell them, they still want to go pedal out in the road and test the boundaries, right? Because they don't understand the rules. But ultimately, we're put underneath our parents because they want to protect us and love us and nurture us and they want to... Raise us up in the admonition of the Lord. And so we get put underneath parents, children in the air, and you're called to obey your parents because they know what's best. I mean, think about this. Okay, we are the only creatures as humans, as kids, that try to rebel from our parents. Think about what this would be like in the wild. Think about if a child antelope went up to its mama antelope and daddy antelope and said, Mama and daddy, forget your rules. I think I can beat the lion." And they're like, listen, son, I'm telling you, you can't beat the lion. Daddy, I am fast. I am real fast. And the daddy looks at him like, listen, you may beat him once or twice, but I'm telling you, eventually he's going to catch up to you, eat your guts out, and National Geographic is going to film it. <laughs> I'm just telling you. But guess what? In the wild, the baby antelope knows whatever the mom and daddy antelope do, that's what I do. There's no other system, there's no other animal chain where the, where, the, where the children animals try to buck the authority of the adult animals. They understand. Mama and daddy bear know best. But yet as humans, we buck it. Why is that? It's one word. Sin. See, the Bible talks about how we're all born into iniquity. iniquity. We're all born into rebellion how many of you know that you don't have to teach your children to disobey did any of you have a class with your child hey kids gather around i want to teach you how to not obey me okay you don't have to do that right it is natural instinct at one to already be fighting with your brother or with your sister it's in, you don't have to teach it it just naturally comes okay Another brother or sister rips a toy out, the other brother punches them in the face. You didn't teach that. Did they watch you do it? Hopefully not. <laughs> okay? I, I don't teach my sons to yell at each other. I don't teach my sons to, to, to hoard things. They just, that's a natural bent because inside there's something that's broken and it's sin. We're born into this. We sin because we're sinners. Okay? And we're sinners when we sin. But when we're born into this world, we're already born into sin. And so we don't have to teach our children to disobey. We have to teach them what? To to obey. So for kids in here, this scripture says, For children to obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Now let's continue. Let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. It says, all right, kids, say it with me. What's the first word? say it loud, honor. say it loud, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, here's a couple of things. Kids, listen to me. Your parents Aren't going to always be right. Parents are like, don't listen to what he just said. That is not true. It is true. And I say that with my mama in the crowd. They're not always right. But the Bible doesn't say you honor them when they're right, the Bible says you honor them all the time. Honor is something that you do to your parents, it's something that you give to your parents. We give honor to them. It says, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you. Now, here's the big deal. Everybody listen, kids. We honor our parents because of their position, not because of their perfection. Say it out loud. We honor our parents for their position, not for their perfection. And let me just say this. Everything that I'm talking about in parenting right now applies to all relationships. Okay, so all of you that are like, I don't have kids and you've already checked out, check back in. Because what you're about to listen to, all the things that I'm sharing, can help you in any relationship, especially when it comes to authority and submitting under it. So this could be authority submitting to a pastor. This could be authority submitting to a teacher. This could be authority submitting to a boss. Whatever it is, the Bible talks about that God sets up this structure where we have authority. We have authority that's in our lives and that we're to honor them. First Peter talks about how he told the Christians, honor the king. Now, if you know anything about the king in 1 Peter's days, the king was killing Christians. So he wasn't saying honor him because what he's doing is right. He's saying honor him because of the position that he's in. And so we honor those in authority not because of their perfection, that they have to be perfect in order for us to honor them. We honor them because of their position. So for kids, that means because they're your mom and dad, you honor them. We give them honor. We bless them. So there's two things, kids, listen, that God has called you to do in your family. Obey your parents. And what's the second one? Honor your parents. Okay. Now, I want you to imagine this, kids. I wish I had one up here. We explain this to our kids almost weekly. Imagine you have an umbrella, okay? We don't have an umbrella in the house, do we? Okay. Okay. Anyways, you got one? Like on you? Sabrina. Look at that. What else you got in there? All right. Sweet. Okay. Yeehaw. Thank God it's not pink. Okay. So imagine this. We tell this to our boys all the time. So the Bible says this. The Bible says that your children are called to obey their parents in the Lord for this is right and to honor their father and mother. Okay? So I want you to imagine you have an umbrella here. What is an umbrella used for? Just that. Come here. Hurry. Okay, I'm going to let you hold this. You'll be my, hold it because he knows this. He's been in this a lot of times. All right. So <laughs> you have an umbrella to protect you from What? rain that's exactly it rain okay so as long as you are under the umbrella what happens you don't get wet right or if you do it's just a little it's not a lot but you don't get wet now what happens if josiah is running through the rain but instead of doing this he decides to do hold it out here do that would that be wise or unwise unwise Unwise, right why Because he gets soaked, exactly right. Okay, so the Bible says this, children, honor and obey your parents. Now, I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine he's got a circle around him when he puts the umbrella over him. This is called the umbrella of blessing, okay? When you honor and obey your parents, you stay under the umbrella. When you dishonor and disobey your parents, you step outside of the umbrella. So here's what happens (laughs) Not wet, wet, not wet, wet, (laughs) blessed, cursed, (laughs) blessed, (laughs) cursed. (laughs) So here's the kill. everybody listen. The Bible says if you honor and you obey your parents that you will be under God's protection the Bible says this. Can we throw that second uh, verse 2 and verse 3 up? Look what it says. This is the first commandment with a what? That what? What will happen? It'll go well with you and what else? You'll live long. How many kids in here want to live long? Long live. How many of you kids want it to go well with you? How many want it to go bad with you? Okay. Alright. So... As long as we are obeying and honoring, we live well and we live long. When we disobey and dishonor, we live bad and we live short. Okay? So thank you, Saya. I love you. You're awesome. <clears throat> thank you, Sabrina. So listen, when we discipline our children, I I can't tell you how many times Lindsay has pulled that out, and she said, I brought the umbrella out again today. (laughs) That, That message right there is on repeat in the Belt Home. Repeat. When you disobey and when you dishonor what we tell you to do, you live outside of God's blessings. Do you want to live outside of God's blessings? You're more than welcome to. But I'm just telling you, in our home, we will not allow that. We are a family who want to live under the blessings of God. We want to live in that. And children, you do too. Here's the deal. You don't honor God when you don't honor your parents. You can't say you love God and not love and honor and obey your parents. You are only as right with God as you are with your parents. And every parent should have just said amen to that one. Okay? Here's the crazy thing. uh, In first century Rome, you had to obey your father's rules until he died. Could you imagine... You're 40 years old. You got your own family. Your kids are growing up. And your dad's like, I want you home at 930. You're like, what? I'm out of your house. Nope. This is what I want. I want you to do this. And guess what you had to do? You had to do it. See, I believe when you grow up and you leave your home, you're still called to honor your parents, but you don't have to submit to the rules anymore. Because now you're your own self-governing person. You do your own rules. Now your parents, hopefully you'll, you will honor them and asking their advice. And hopefully you will get their counsel. But at the end of the day, God's going to judge you on what you did and how you self-governed yourself. But you still have a responsibility to honor your parents. And so for those who are, who are out of the house, you are still called to honor your parents. You're still called. They're still your parents. They're still that position. We still honor them. Okay? All right, now let's go to Ephesians 6.4. All right, kids, look at your parents and say, now it's your turn. (laughs) All right, and specifically, it's not just your entire parents, it's one specifically. Who? Fathers. So wives, look at your husbands and say, no, it's really just you. (laughs) Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Here's as a word of encouragement as fathers, we do not need to negatively motivate our children. Your dad may have done that to you, but as a godly father, we don't do that to our kids. We do not negatively motivate our children with our mouth. And I'm going to say this to dads, watch your mouth, and I'm not talking about cussing. I'm talking about the things that come out of your mouth that can kill a child by you squelching the things that are in them, speaking negatively to them. I can't begin to tell you how powerful your mouth is when it comes to children. As fathers, our goal, regardless, is to nurture and to love and to encourage our kids, and I believe specifically that he speaks to fathers here because we are the lead. We're the lead. It's sad. I, I, uh, I, I go to Jennings Elementary a lot. Um, just had a great relationship with Dr. Coleman there and the teachers and the staff there. And um, I, one of the things that I like to do is when I get there, there's usually two or three kids sitting in the hallway. And it's disciplinary issues. And I always do this every time I go. As I go and I sit on the bench with these kids and I find out what's going on. Dr. Coleman's just kind of giving me that freedom just to speak to any kids that have discipline issues. So I take advantage of it. So I'll sit down with these kids and I'll say, hey, what happened? And they'll be like, oh, such and such. He said this and such and such said this this to me and this to me. So what did you do? Well, I hit him or I said this to him or I said this to the teacher. She's being unfair to me. And so I'll start unpacking this idea of honoring, honoring their teachers, but then I'll also start talking to them about their parents. And I'm going to tell you, probably 95% of the kids I talk to either don't have a dad or their dad is just not involved at all. And it's sad. We have a generation of kids who are being raised by moms. And mamas, I love you, and I'm so glad that you're doing a mama and a daddy's role. But that's not the ideal family. The ideal family is that there would be a a father in the relationship. Now, we'll get into that later on and what what happens when you just don't have a dad. But I'm going to talk specifically to the fathers who are here. You will stand before God on how you raised your children. Not this church. And I don't know about you, but that scares the mess out of me. And then, as a pastor, I'll stand before God for how we I pastored you, which that even scares me even more. And so, this role of fatherhood is serious, and we blow it, and I blow it constantly, and I know I do. But it doesn't allow me to stay there. And I have to be very, very careful with my mouth. I'm one of those guys who, who's pretty quick with his mouth. It's a gifting God's given me, but it's also a curse. Because like, I can just kind of spew something real quick, sometimes not even think about it. And I can do that to my kids, and it could hurt them in a really bad way. You know, um, I don't know how your boys are, but I, my, all my boys are different. And my middle one, Judah, is all boy but he's extremely sensitive, like extremely sensitive. He's got a very creative side to him, loves creativity, loves art, loves these kind of things. He's very sensitive to what he does. He loves, uh, he just, he doesn't like daddy's shoes. Guess whose shoes he likes? Mama's shoes. Mine are black and brown and, and boring. Mamas are sparkly and bright colored and they got heels, okay? They're fun. So he likes to walk around in these things. The other day I went home and Judah's toenails are painted. And everything within me was like, what is going on here? She's like, he likes doing it with me. I'm like, there's a lot of things he might like doing with you. And I have to be careful, though, not to speak against that because that's a creative side to him. He He loves hugs. He's a hugger. He's a smother, too, sometimes. But he loves hugs. He, he compliments his mama all the time. You look beautiful. He's just a sensitive boy. And I'm going to tell you, dads, if we're like most dads in our culture, when we see that, we speak negatively to it. A boy wears camo and blood and kills things. Doesn't paint his toenails and... Where's your cleats? (laughs) Some of this, you know? Like, we want to, like, recoil back. Like, I don't want him to be like one of those other kind of guys. But I'll tell you what, if you're too harsh on creativity, you'll actually not push them to be more of a man. You'll push them the exact opposite. So the ones you're, like, worried about, like, oh, my goodness, I don't want him to, like, if you're too hard on him, That creativity is going to come out in some way, but it's going to come out in a way that's not right. And so, as a dad, you want to cultivate that. So I look at my son and go, "That's a good color. Boys usually don't do that, but that's a good color, man. (laughs) I like them shoes. Where's yours? You got any around here? You know, (laughs) just try to find ways to come, give it a hug." But I don't want to steal from that creativity and that softness. I want to encourage it. My son, Saya, he's a thinker. He's an analyzer. He's got a bazillion questions. It literally, bazillion. <laughs> I'm sitting at the dinner table, and he's just asking questions and questions and questions. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> What's going on here? Dad, what is this? Why did you do this? Where did this come from? Hey, you remember two years ago when we did this? Hey, do you? Oh Jesus! Just wanted to you. eat my chicken. But if I'm not careful, and I stop that, I squelch something that God put inside of him. I'm a questioner. I'm an analyzer. I'm a thinker. I don't realize he's got me in him. That's what I do. I probably question people to death all the time. I want to know the same things. But that's something that will further him in what God's put inside of him in a really good way. But if I kill that, stop asking questions. If I kill that, I'm gonna kill something that God put inside of him that he wanted to nurture. Y'all, y'all with me? Yeah. And so, fathers, fathers, that's on us. We gotta encourage that. And listen, our, our failures in parenting, my, and my failures in parenting reminds me daily of the grace and forgiveness of God. I, I'll be honest with you, when it comes to my mouth, I don't know, I, I can't even count how many times. I've had to walk into my boys' room at night, and my boys have bunk beds, and I have to step up on Judah's bed, and I have to lean over to Josiah and say, Josiah, listen, what Daddy said earlier was wrong. I apologize. That was not right at all. I should not have done that. I should have not have said that. Daddy needs Jesus just like you, and my heart needs to be fixed just like yours. Will you forgive me? I don't know how many times I've had that conversation with my boys. A lot. So here's the question. How many times have you had that conversation with your boys? Or your daughters? Or do you get to blow up, and, but you don't have to ask for forgiveness? Just you make them. See, whatever we want in our children, we have to model. We have to show so when they blow up at each other, guess what I make them do? I make them go to their brother and say, Judah, I'm sorry. What I did was wrong. I, I apologize. That was sin. Do you forgive me? Hug it out. Maybe even kiss it out, depending on how it's going. So, But as a daddy, we have to show that. They don't just naturally do that. How many of your kids just naturally came up to you and go, I am sorry, please forgive me. They don't do that naturally. You have to kind of, in a sense, force that for a little while. But it's not forcing, it's training. We're training. As fathers, we do that. Let's keep looking at this verse. It says, fathers, don't provoke your children anger, but look what it says, but bring them up. It's this idea of nurturing, nurturing caring, shaping. We bring them up in the what? There's two things in what? In discipline and in instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction. Discipline and instruction. Discipline is not you venting your wrath, but rather it's you coming. Listen, parents, listen. Rather you coming as God's representative to your children to bring them back to God. I'll say that again because that was a really, really good line, and you can say amen after it. Discipline. Is not your venting of your wrath, but rather you coming as God's representative to your children to bring them back to God. See, because here's the deal. Just as your children are called to submit to you, guess who you're called to submit to? So guess what? Just as much as your children are called to submit to you, which is actually ultimately submitting to God, you both get to submit to God. See, as a parent, you don't get all the authority and then you get to blame it on them and you get to rebuke them and discipline them and spank them because guess what? If you keep doing that, God's coming after you because guess what? That's his kid, not just yours. Do you understand that your children, the Bible says, are a gift from God? That you're called to nurture them and shape them, but guess what? You're going to launch them out and it's going to be them and God. We got 18, 19, unfortunately in our culture, 33 years, just depends. Adolescence can kind of go on for however long. It's, it's pretty sad. Just so I just let you know, 18 hit the road, Jack. Uh, but just as your children got to submit to your authority, you as a parent got to submit to God's authority. So I want to talk a little bit about this word discipline, because if you actually go and you look in Proverbs, you'll, you'll see the word discipline and in instruction for parents, and they kind of go hand in hand. That discipline is instruction, and instruction can be discipline, and they kind of work together, but you need both of them. And so I want to talk real quick in the kind of last part of my message about discipline. What is biblical discipline? What is it? Because if we're all honest, how many of you would say when it comes to the area of discipline, you blow it? Come on. And the rest of you are liars. Or you don't have kids yet and you think you're going to ace it. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Wait till you get at least two. (laughs) When it was one, it was easy. Two. (laughs) Three was crazy. Four, you're like drowning and you just throw a baby in there with you. All right? It's rough. So discipline is a couple things. I have four things. Of what real true biblical discipline. The Bible says that God disciplines us as his kids. We're kids too. Do you know that? Kids to a father. And so how do we go about this as spiritual parents disciplining our children? Number one is this. Discipline focuses on the heart, not the behavior. Biblical discipline focuses on the heart, not the behavior. Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. 15. It says this. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. I'll say it again, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. So here's the deal, behavior is a byproduct of something that's wrong in the heart. So if you have a child that's rebelling, not submitting, not obeying, dishonoring, it's not just that that behavior needs to be fixed, but their heart needs to be fixed. The Bible says, out of the heart flows the wellsprings of life. So you deal with the heart. Not with just the behavior. So if you do this, stop that. Don't talk to your mama like that again. Guess what you just dealt with? The behavior. So guess what the kid can do? Okay, I'm not going to do that for right now until daddy leaves. When daddy comes back and leaves, then I'll go back. Because you know why? Because there's something broken in the heart with the child. So instead, you got to go, hey, what's up with this? why are you acting this way? What's going on? There's something that's broken. I I wrote this quote. I think it's in your notes. Your children desperately need to understand not only the external what they did that was wrong, but also the internal why they did it. They need to identify the sin and give it its biblical name. We tell our sons, say, you were angry. Tell them, I was selfish. Tell them, I was prideful. When you go and you make that right with your brother, you tell him, I was this. Not just, hey, I'm sorry, but you call it out. This is what I was. I was this. We constantly need to remind our children that God works from the inside out. See, when it comes to discipline... Parents, this is for you. We need to speak to our children and not at our children. There's a difference. One is a monologue. One is a dialogue. One is, you need to do this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And another one is, hey, what's going on? You having a bad day? Why did you act that way? What's happening? How are you feeling? Why did you say that? Where did that come from? What's going on? How many of you know, though, that the dialogue takes a lot Longer, how many of you know, and when you've already had a long day, the last thing you want to do is go have a dialogue with your children. You just want to go get that right and get in bed, right? That's what we want to do, but we got to think with the end in mind. We're not just parenting for today, we're parenting for tomorrow. So, today, there's quick things that we can do, but for tomorrow we got to start having these dialogues. Psalms 119.11, it says, I have stored up your word in my what? Come on, say it with me. Stored up your word in my what? In my heart that I might not what? Sin. Where does sin come from? Heart. Heart. Where does the word of God need to go? The heart. It's not about perfect behavior. It's about passionate hearts. We want kids who aren't just perfect behaviors. We want them to love Jesus with all their hearts. Come on, listen, I could fake it. I could fake things. But the truth is, we're going to launch these kids out when they're 18, 19, and 20 into college. And if they don't have hearts that are on fire for God, their perfect behavior will go out the window. That's why you have 70 to 80% of kids who are raised up in church and youth groups, when they graduate and go to college, they don't go back to church. You know why? Because we were teaching them the list of rules that they need to do this, this, and this. And guess what? When they're no longer under your rules, they do whatever they want. Because we didn't deal with the heart, we just dealt with behavior. But the heart issue was still there. I'm telling you, I'm really skilled at fighting to win the argument, but I'm not as skilled at fighting to win the heart. That takes a lot more effort. Number two, discipline is administered out of love and not anger. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as the father of the son he delights in. Come on, how many of you just be honest? This is really, really hard. Because most of us are reactionary. Meaning your child does something stupid and you react stupid. It's <laughs> the only way to put it. Uh, Okay, here's here's how this works, and there's some things some things that I think that can really help. And let me speak specifically to the dads, just because that's what I am. So, when I drive home from a very long day of work, see, my job requires me to use a lot of my mind. Some of you men, maybe your job requires you to use a lot of your hands. Your body's just sore. You're tired. Mine revolves around a lot of my mind. I. Talking with people a lot throughout the day. So, so on my drive home, I'll be honest with you, on my drive home, the, the last thing that I want to do is be talking. I like want to shut up and just, like, go eat and then sit down and, like, sleep or something. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is talk. So this is what I have to do. I'm going to tell you, when I drive home, I have to give myself a pep talk. All right, Josh, now listen. Your job is not over. You're about to walk into possibly a war zone. You don't know what you're walking into. Get get mentally ready, prepared. I have to remind myself that my job, the pastoral side, is not just my only job. I have a job at home with my wife and with my children. And so I have to remind myself, because here's the ideal situation. My ideal is I'm going to come home. I'm going to pull into the driveway. The kids are going to run outside going, Daddy! They're going to hug me. I've been waiting for you. My wife's going to come out there. Give me a passionate make out in front of all of the neighbors. She goes, I'm so glad you're home. Dinner's actually ready. That gets candlelight when I walk into the home. It's on plates. There's some music in the background playing. And then, she, then we eat. And then she's like, you know what? I'm going to do the dishes, and I'll bathe the kids, and you just go sit down and watch the game. Do whatever you want. Do, would you like another Dr. Pepper? Okay, so <laughs> that's my thought. And then after that's all done and she puts the kids down, then she's going to come over to me and go, would you, would you like to go in the bedroom now? Okay. So this is my, okay, to go to sleep. Okay. To sleep. Forgot Quest was in here. To go to sleep. So. And then we sleep great that night and then it's all good. Wake up in the morning. Okay. So that's ideal family situations. The reality, the real, okay? The real is I pull up into the yard. I pull up in the yard. As I'm getting closer to the door, I hear screaming. I walk into the door. I slip on Legos as I walk into the door. They're everywhere. They're all over the place. Wife is still cooking dinner while yelling at the oldest for, Stop eating goldfish! And then I'm like, it's just goldfish. What's the big deal? And then, but I don't know that he's been hoarding the goldfish for the past nine hours, and he's gained six pounds on goldfish, and he's not going to eat his dinner. So now me and the wife are at it. What's the deal? I mean, why are you yelling at the kids? I mean, what? And she's like, you don't even want to get me started, okay? And then I got other kids in here fighting over a DS. Going, he's not letting me pay my DS. And then I got another one in here that's got his scooter. He runs over my toe with the scooter. I'm missing half a toe now. My toenail's off. And they are like, it's time for dinner. Get everybody now. And then the wife looks at me and goes, which one do you want? You want the bath time or you want dishes? You know what, why don't you have both of them, okay? And then I got to go bathe them. I got to do the dishes. And then, okay, that's Come on, how many? that's the real a lot of times. That's the real. Okay, first off, let me give a a disclaimer. That's not all the time in my house. (laughs) I I don't want to paint that as my house all the time. But that's often, okay? Things like that are crazy. But I'm going to say this. As fathers, if you're driving home with expectations of ideal and you walk into real, guess what's going to happen? you're you're going to discipline out of anger because your expectation didn't get met. You thought you were going to get to come home and just rest. And your wife had other thoughts when you were coming home that you're going to give relief. And so husbands, we get angry in our discipline, so we start taking it out on our kids because at the core, we were selfish. We wanted what we wanted and we didn't get it. We were just as bad and just as wrong as the kids were. And here's the big truth about all this. When a parent screams, they're just as out of control as the child. When you scream at your kids, you're just as as in much sin as the child is. So guess what? In your discipline of your kids and getting them right, then you gotta go, oh, and by the way, daddy's sorry too. There's a lot of that that goes on in our home too. Verbal abuse can be just as devastating to a child as physical abuse. All right, number three, let's let's finish this up. Discipline's goal is correction, not punishment. Discipline's goal is It's correction, not punishment. Hebrews 12, 6, For the Lord disciplines the one he what? He loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. Does God discipline you or does he punish you? What is it? What is it, Josiah? Discipline. That's exactly right. Punishment speaks of retribution. It speaks of paying back. It speaks of revenge. Discipline speaks of instruction, training, correction. Here's the deal. God does not punish you. You don't punish your kids. You correct your kids but you don't punish them because God doesn't do that to you. He doesn't make you pay back anything. He doesn't make you sit and figure this thing out and then you gotta come and do all this. Now are are there consequences to sin? Yes, there should be, but there's not punishment there. And I'm gonna show you how this works. See, punishment has to do with God's wrath But in in Christ, on the cross, he took that wrath. So here's some common punishment phrases. Listen, I've said all these, so I'm going to just preface all this by saying I'm not above any of these. But you can see if you're doing punishment or correction, if you say things like this. If you don't stop that, you're going to regret it. Just wait until your father gets home, and then you're going to be in really big trouble. I'll spank you so hard you're not going to be able to sit for weeks. Stop crying, finish it for me, you know what it is. Stop crying or I'll give you, yeah. See, all of these carry a connotation that you're going to be sad, you're going to be sorry, you're going to be pained, you're going to be wounded, that you'll never want to do this again. So guess what your motivation for obedience is now? I don't want my butt tore up. Not... I want to do this because I love my mom. Do you see the difference here? One is a motivation out of, if I don't do this, I'm going to get killed at home. Another motivation is, I want to do this because I love my parents. Which motivation do you want? Do you want your kids to always be afraid of you? That was my dad. So guess what? When I messed up, guess what I did? I hid. If your kids hide from you, you know then that you're in punishment and not correction. We need to bring our kids out of hiding and go, listen, when you mess up, just own it. Own up to it. We'll correct it. We'll deal with it. Yes, there may be consequences to it, but you don't have to hide from daddy. Don't hide from me. Guess what? When our kids blow it when they get out of the house, do you want them coming back to you or running away from you? You want them to come back to you, right? To come home and go, Mom, I blew it. I don't know what to do. But if we've raised them for 18 years where when we punish them, they run from us, when they get out of the house, they'll definitely run from us. So our biblical discipline is about correction, not just punishment. And if Jesus took all of the punishment for you and for me, he also took it for your kids. And since Jesus took the punishment, my role as a parent is to provide appropriate consequences and instruction to help them see how their behavior displeases God. Number four, and this is the last one, biblical discipline ends in restoration, not separation. Hebrews twelve eleven. 11, for, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that What is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. See, our goal in disciplining our children is that they'll be reconciled and restored and healed. That's the whole point. We discipline our children, not for them to be separated from the family, but to be brought back into the family, to make it right. Parenting is constantly us reciting the gospel over and over again. And if you don't understand the gospel, you're not going to understand parenting. Because here's the truth. Come on, look, we, we be honest here? Children, along with us as parents, are daily learning how to deal with sin, bring it to the Lord, and get reconciled, right? We blow it, we bring it to God, and then we get reconciled. Our kids blow it, they bring it to us, and then we get reconciled. Biblical discipline reconciles, heals, heals. And restores children back into the relationship. Isn't that the story of the prodigal son? He runs. He figures out what happens. He runs back home. He's coming back home, and the father runs out to meet him. And what does he do? He forgives him, he wraps his arm around him, he clothes him, and then he says, Let's celebrate. You're back in the family. See, that's what our biblical discipline should be in our children. It shouldn't be this whole heavy, like, you're grounded for five weeks, and you should do all this, because that doesn't bring restoration and healing back into the family. Is there consequences? Yes, there should be. But there should be immediate brought back into the family, brought back in healing and restoration. We want that. So I'll end by asking this question. This is to parents. What are you doing right now in regards to your own spiritual health? Because ultimately the decisions that you're making today are determining what kind of parent you'll be tomorrow. So if you're allowing God to do things in your own heart, guess what? That's going to affect the way that you parent your children. God's showing you grace and mercy. Guess what you're going to want to do to your kids? You're going to want to show and extend grace and mercy. If it's been all about law and rules, guess what? It's going to be on your kids. All about law and rules. And let me just share this good news you're going to fail. You're going to blow it. Probably, maybe even today. But this is God's ideal, and we live in a fallen and sinful world. And is there ideal of what family should be like and what parenting should look like? Yes, this is what God holds up. This is what we should do as parents. There's the real of what we're really struggling with. And in between that is a reminder that we need God's grace to be the parents he's called us to be. We need God's grace to cover our weaknesses. We need God's grace to help empower us to stop doing what we don't want to do anymore. We need God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness daily.